All right, students, welcome to second semester's first lectures. This is lecture 10, introduction to Homer's Odyssey, books 12 and 13. I've been calling it Homer's Odyssey uh, 2019, but I suppose now it has to be Homer's Odyssey 2019-2020. Welcome to the Roaring Twenties, 100 years after, or 90 years, I suppose, after the last time we were in the Twenties. And so, let's get back to Circe's Island. Recall that Odysseus has been telling his story to the Phaeacians about his travels from Troy. What has he done since Troy to find himself uh, crewless and shipless and moneyless and even clothesless on the Phaeacian island? And so he's been telling his story, and where we left off last semester was he told his story of going to the underworld on the advice of Circe. He went to the underworld to talk to a blind prophet named Tiresias who would tell him about how he was cursed and how he could somehow make it home successfully, though in, uh, an Olympian god Poseidon, the god of the sea, the only way he can get home on the sea, uh, to find a way to get home on the sea without Poseidon killing him. And, uh, well, he found out some fairly bleak things. He found out he's probably going to die. But if he doesn't, all of his men will die, and he will lose his ship. And if he eats any food on this island called Thrinakia, he will certainly die. That is an island that we will see today. So, he's been to the underworld, he saw there Tiresias, he saw there Agamemnon, he saw Achilles, he tried to talk to Aias the Greater, but uh, those uh, bones, uh, or they still have a bone to pick with each other, at least Aias still believes he does with Odysseus, though Odysseus is alive and wants forgiveness. He saw his mother down there, sadly. He saw uh, three epic sinners down there, Sisyphus, Tatias, and Tantalus, and also got to see Heracles, Orion, and Minos. Now, back to Circe's island. Odysseus returns to Aiata. There he buries Elpinor, his companion who had foolishly died by dropping off a roof uh, uh, after a night of drinking. And then he discusses what he learned with Circe. Circe then lays out the coming challenges. And she says, you're going to run into three big ones. Uh, the first one will be the sirens. And the sirens, they have this incredible ability. They're often represented as half bird, half woman. Sometimes they're represented as mermaids, too, as uh, beautiful women on the top and a uh, slithery sort of fish at the bottom, sort of like Aria and the Little Mermaid, which we talked about before in lecture. Um, something that they can do is they sing a haunting song that if you hear it, you must turn your ship towards them, wreck your ship on their island, and then die of starvation while looking at them, and then they eat you. And so actually at their island, it's a very horrifying looking island. They're beautiful, and their song is beautiful, but in their harbor are wrecked ships, and on their shores are bones of sailors who have been eaten by them. So it's a very grotesque, very Baroque image. Baroque image is one that has something beautiful and gross all. Uh, two things that don't naturally fit together, like dark and light, you might say. Uh, in any case, the sirens are the first obstacle he'll have to go by. And so if their power is to lure you through song, how do you keep them from enthralling you? Well, you have to keep from hearing their song. And so what Odysseus is told to do by Circe is to put wax, beeswax literally, in the ears of his uh, companions. Though, Circe gives him an option. I don't know if I wrote it here. No, I'll tell you in a second. She says to Odysseus in particular, remember, he often gets special favors. Slightly, uh, remember even with the Lystragones, his ship was outside of um, the harbor, and that's why it survived. He is told he can listen to the song of the sirens, but he'll still be affected by it. 
how can you keep from jumping over the edge? Like the lotus, uh, like the men who ate the lotus wanted to do after being taken back to the ship from the lotus eaters. Well, he's told by Circe, if you want to hear this song, be the first man ever to hear this song and to come back alive, you need to be tied to your mast by your men. And when you hear the song, you are going to freak out and say, untie me or say anything possible to go see those sirens. But you need to instruct your men to tie you even tighter. Because, well, you as a man are just as subject to uh, uh, the vulnerabilities of men as any other man. And so, because Odysseus is not arrogant, because Odysseus recognizes his humanity and his vulnerability, perhaps he will be able to survive the silence. But, there is a second danger that comes after that. It's called skilling Charybdis. And actually, very interestingly, uh, Circe gives Odysseus an option. <clears throat> he, she says, well, you can either go by these crashing rocks that literally crash together uh, like, a, like an old arcade video game, like Frogger or something, trying to get through two rocks that crush you, uh, or, or an old Mario Kart game in Bowser's uh, Palace. Or you can go by these two monsters, one from above, one from below. The one from, that comes from above is named Scylla. <clears throat> Interestingly enough, Scylla is a transformed monster who was once in love with the same person Circe was in love with. This um, <clears throat> once man, now god, named Glaucus. <clears throat> and as you know, Circe knows how to use malignant drugs to transform men into animals. Well, also jealously, she gave malignant drugs to Scylla to turn her into a horrifying monster. You say, horrifying monster, Mr. Schmidt. What makes her so horrifying? Well, she has six heads. Uh, she's represented in art very differently. Uh, sometimes she just has horrifying female faces with very sharp teeth. She has three rows of teeth, like a great white shark, by the way. But sometimes she's represented as having dragon heads. She has 12 feet, which she will dangle outside of her cavern. And I think the oddest thing about her is that she has a belt of dogs that live around her waist that yap. So before Scylla attacks you, and there is no way to defend against Scylla as a mortal, if she attacks your ship, she will kill at least six men. If you dawdle and try and fight her, she will kill another six men and eat them up. And what am I saying about her exactly here? Yeah, she'll eat you up. Uh, oh, yeah, you hear these sounds of dogs beforehand. Yeah, 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 out in the middle of the ocean. It's got to be very eerie. Again, another grotesque uh, idea. And yet, Scylla is the less dangerous of the two monsters who are essentially side by side in this strait of, I think, Messenia, or Messina is what it is. On the other side, if you don't choose to go by Scylla, danger comes from below. There is a monster beneath the water called Charybdis. And Charybdis can produce a whirlpool, a whirlpool which sucks down all the sea three times a day. Now, often students have asked me, uh, can't you just go by Charybdis when she's not sucking down the salt sea? And I say, yes, but the problem is, you don't know when she's going to suck down the salt sea, and you don't know for how long, and you don't know whether it's the first or the second or the third time of the day. So you don't have the information necessary to make that a smart choice. And so the choice becomes, do you lose six people, definitely, who get killed, who get eaten alive by Scylla, which is, uh, I would imagine, one of the most terrible ways to die, or do you risk your entire crew? So I think Odysseus has a fairly obvious decision to make. Um, and yet, this will not even be the most difficult and the most trying of his challenges. Well, let's see, I got that there. 
Because, uh, let me just go back here. I have a couple extra slides on here, I'm sorry. He will have to make it to Thrinikia, which is where the cattle of the sun, sometimes they're called the cattle of Helios, sometimes they're called the cattle of Apollo, all the same thing. Apollo is the god of the sun, sometimes called Helios, which was uh, the name of the titan of the sun before the Olympians defeated the titans in uh, that great battle between Olympians and titans. <clears throat> there Odysseus will have to face his own starvation. He will have to face his own uh, uh, humanity, you might say. He will starve for about a month. And maybe I'll say a little more uh, soon. But in any case, he will have to not eat while starving and have to keep his head even under extremely uh, dire and grievous and difficult circumstances. All right, let's get into things themselves. All right, so just to recap, we got back to Circe's Island after going to the underworld. We buried Elpinar, got instructions on how to deal with the sirens and Skillin Charybdis. Uh, what Odysseus is going to do is be bound while he listens to the sirens. The other crewmates are going to have wax in their ears. Uh, when he hears the song, he's going to ask to be unbound. They are to then do the opposite of what he says because he's out of his mind. And to uh, tie him harder. He'll then see Scylla, or go by Scylla and Charybdis, not the roving rocks. Uh, Scylla has a belt of dogs, three rows of teeth, six heads, six arms, twelve feet. Uh, we will not go by Charybdis, though we will see Charybdis at one point, uh, unfortunately. I'll tell you why that's unfortunate uh, when we get there, uh, which is a whirlpool or a creature that causes a whirlpool. That's even more horrifying, I would say. Uh, what kind of creature would be so large and terrifying that it could produce a whirlpool while it sucks down the salt sea? A very large and scary one is the answer. Um, and, uh, of course, don't land, land on Threnikia. Can you guess what we're definitely going to do? Land on Threnikia, yes, of course. The place that we're not supposed to go. Again, it's just like uh, Disney. Uh, don't go to the dark lands on the edge of Pride Rock, Simba. Where does Simba immediately go? The dark lands, an elephant graveyard. Find some hyenas there. They're very creepy. All right, good. Let's see. All right. Let's go to the first place that we're supposed to go. Now, Odysseus gets on his ship, and he starts to pass by the sirens. Now, interestingly enough, he tells his men that he has been told by Circe that he has to hear the sirens. Now, she didn't say he has to hear the sirens. She said, if you wish to hear the sirens, you must be bound to your mask while your men have waxed them there. So he kind of changes what it is she says. In any case, it doesn't become an issue. The men put wax in their ears so that they cannot hear the sirens while they pass by. Odysseus uh, sits on, or rather, is tied to the mast and listens. And what is it that the sirens sing about to him? Well, interestingly enough, uh, they seem to be able to sing about whatever it is you desire most. And what Odysseus desires most of all things, as an adventurer, as an explorer, is knowledge of all things. Why do you explore? Why do you go out into the unknown? The answer is to learn something that you did not know, to learn something that perhaps nobody knew. And so the sirens say, we know all the deeds that happened in Troy. We know all things. Come to our island. We will teach you everything you've ever wanted to know. Answer any questions that you have, like they're divine oracles. Do they actually know what they claim to know? Maybe, maybe not. But will they eat you before they tell it to you? Answer, yes, because you will die of starvation and then be eaten before they can teach you everything that you would possibly want to know. In any case, Odysseus struggles against his binds. He wants to get up. He wants to get up. And his men bind him even harder, and they keep sailing on. It had to be sort of a terrible feeling 
maybe, <laughs> I would say somewhat akin to what the lotus eater men, or the men who ate the lotus had to go through, some sort of come down from uh, some sort of terrible drug. Uh, Odysseus having to be offered what he wants most in the world, and yet to uh, have it denied to him. In any case, they offer knowledge of all things, and to seeing of the war of Troy, this is an image here, a yellow figure, base of, uh, you can see the sirens here, half woman, half bird. Uh, I have another image of them here. Here they're mermaidy. They have fish bottoms, and they come up onto the... Uh, the uh, ship. Uh, the sirens are, of course, a very famous image. Here's another image of them as half birds, half women, sort of like harpies. In this case, you can see Odysseus tied to the mast in each of these base paintings. Um, all right. Now, Odysseus has passed the sirens. This is the first of the last three difficulties to get through. He chooses not to go through the crashing rocks. Uh, something interesting about the roving rocks is there is only one ship that ever got through them without being pulverized. And that was with the help of Hera. And that was the first hero in all the Greek tradition. His name was Jason. Jason and the Argonauts. Jason, who uh, rode on the first ship, supposedly. A ship that you'll see mentioned in Dante's Paradiso next year. Actually, quiet back there. All right. And uh, so Odysseus, rather than attempting to go through the rovers, which would crush him, he doesn't have the help of Hera like Jason, did, it's not divinely ordained, chooses to go through Scylla and Charybdis. Rather than risk Charybdis, which could potentially suck down all of his ship and all of his men and end his adventure quite, igno uh, quite ignominiously, he chooses to go by Scylla. Now, he's been told by Circe that no matter how much armor he wears or whether he brandishes his sword or not, there's nothing you can do against Scylla. She's invincible to the arms of men. And yet still, he puts his armor on. And still he puts his sword in his hand, just preparing, just in case Scylla comes after him. Well, the yapping is heard, and Scylla's six heads out of nowhere come down, and they grab six men. Six men who scream Odysseus' name while they are taken up to the cavern. Six men who look at him, scream his name, and uh, actually Odysseus, it, it said, this was the worst thing he ever saw. And I can only imagine what it's like to see a man eaten alive who did not expect to be eaten alive, who was under your command, who died uh, essentially because of you. Um, and that is something that Odysseus has to deal with. And I often ask the students to reflect on that a little, because this is a decision that Odysseus made. This was the most intelligent decision that he could make or make. But in some ways, is he responsible for that horrible death of his men? I think the answer is clearly yes. And so... Uh, uh, that is the sort of decision that humans have to make in this world. Uh, does he have a way to just get through Skill and Charybdis scot-free? No. So he has to take the lesser of two evils. And he does. Hmm. Alright. Now, Odysseus and his men have gotten through the sirens. They've gotten through Scylla and Charybdis as well. Wonderful. Now they are passing by Threnikia. Threnikia is the Isle of the Sun. Odysseus knows they need not to go there. But a storm starts to approach. A storm approaches that uh, makes the men think, mm, you know, probably it would be better, even though this is a terrible island where we might die, to uh, disembark and stay there for a day rather than facing a storm. Face a storm on the water, very likely that we're going to die. 
go and moor on an island, even if it's supposedly a very dangerous island, that might be the lesser of two dangers. And in fact, uh, somebody speaks up. Somebody who we've heard once before, Eurylochus. Remember that Eurylochus is the brother-in-law of Odysseus, married to his sister. Remember also that Eurylochus was the man who was in charge of the second group of men on Circe's Isle, Iaia, the man who went with his men to Circe's house and had them all transformed into animals. The man who then came back down to uh, Odysseus's camp and blamed Odysseus for this happening. And Odysseus thought about cutting his head off, but then decided not to. Well, Eurylochus speaks up again. And he says, you hard man. Perhaps you're made of stone, Odysseus, but we're made of flesh and blood. We're tired. We're hungry. And the storm is approaching. We can't possibly get through this. I think everybody agrees with me that we should go to Threnakia. Now, the problem is these men did not directly talk to Circe about the danger of Threnakia. These men did not go down to the underworld and talk to Tiresias. Odysseus knows that the worst choice they could possibly make is to go to Threnakia. And yet that is the choice that the men choose to make. Now, something unforeseen happens here. You think, well... Uh, you can probably avoid eating some cattle for a day, and that's true. But just like on Aulis with the Achaeans before coming to Troy, the winds turn against the Achaeans, the Odysseus' men. A full month, they're stuck on this island. During that month, they run out of their food. They attempt to fish, but they can't catch enough fish to stop eating. And then, again, another theme uh, comes up, rears its head. Odysseus makes these men swear. Do not eat the cattle of the sun. They all swear. They give him his word. But then, after some time, he goes up, because there's nothing to do, uh, to a clearing by himself to pray, uh, asking the gods for guidance. And while he's praying, and I think this is kind of a funny thing, uh, perhaps if you've ever prayed, this has happened to you too, uh, he falls asleep while he's doing that. And remember, whenever Odysseus falls asleep, among his crewmen, just like with Iolus' bag in that episode, something bad happens. He seems to be the one that's capable of thought. Uh, they seem to be the ones who are subject to their uh, bodies and emotions. And so, well, Odysseus falls asleep. While he's asleep, guess who, guess who? Eurylochus pops up and says to the men some things that are very persuasive and yet not true. He says, well, I think we have two choices, guys. We're either going to die of starvation here, or we can eat these cattle of the sun, uh, which is essentially some incredible lamb, some good cow. It's like eating delicious burgers and steak uh, after eating nothing and some fish. Uh, I, uh, that's a nice transition, I would say. Eurylochus says, we can either die of starvation, we can eat this food, and then potentially die on the sea. Or, you know what might happen is this god might be forgiving. What we might do is we might eat the cattle of the sun, and then we can just make it back to Ithaca, and then we can make a sacrifice to these uh, to that god, and then he'll just forgive us. And it's like, well, I don't think that's quite how it works. Um, you have to make the sacrifices and get the ascent first. You can't assume the ascent and then make the sacrifice later. You cannot pay later for uh, the goods that are now. It's, uh, they didn't have a credit system back in ancient Greece like we do. In any case, Eurylochus persuades them in. Because of their weakness of will, because of their inability to keep their promises, because of their inability to grasp uh, the situation correctly, they will die. In fact, right after they uh, uh, slaughter the food and roast the meat, two uh, servants of Helios, Apollo, Lampetia 
And uh, I forget actually what the other name of one is. And you can see that word for lamp, light here. Actually, the word limpid we get comes from uh, Lymphos, where Olympus comes from, shining place. That's why Olympus is called Olympus, a place of shining. You can't quite understand it. That's where gods are. In any case, she tells Apollo that his cows, his cattle, have been eaten. Oh, is that really what I imagined? All right. In any case, Apollo then goes to Zeus and says, if you do not throw a thunderbolt at these men when they get on their ships, after the winds turn back in their favor, I will take the sun, I will put it in the underworld, and I will never again cast light on the earth. Zeus says, uh, yeah, we'll kill the mortals. No worries about that. Um, and so, Apollo will get what he wants, and Odysseus' men, unfortunately, will very much um, die. Okay, uh, yeah, I, I feel like I should have a slide there, but I'll just tell you what happens here. The winds turn, Odysseus and his men get on to his ship, then Zeus throws a thunderbolt down at the ship, very much like what happened to Ives the Lesser's ship. All the men are immediately incinerated and killed, except for Odysseus, who hangs on to a piece of bark, a, a raft, and then he actually goes back through the Strait of Messina, where Scylla and Charybdis are. Charybdis starts to suck down the salt sea, so he's about to die, but he grabs onto a tree, a tree, uh, and it's in fact an olive tree, and he holds onto it. How long? Who knows? But his endurance is profound. And keep in mind, he's still very much starving. Uh, he uh, then slides by Scylla, and it says that he's just staring up at Scylla. But some god turned the attention of Scylla. Just, I want you to imagine how terrifying that would be. You've already seen Scylla when you were on a ship. It was moving much faster with a lot of people eat men alive. Now you're on just kind of a raft floating by. And on that raft, Odysseus eventually washes up on Ogygia, where Calypso nurses him back to health and keeps him as prisoner. And that's the end of Odysseus' story to the Phaeacians about his journeys, about how he got there. After he got to Ogygia, seven years there, eventually Hermes comes down, commands Calypso to let him go, and then he spends 20 days making it to uh, uh, the Phaeacian islands, Korea, which is where he's told this story now. Alcanoa says, wow. That's a pretty good story. You should write a book about that. It'll probably last a bit of time. And he says, now, finally, you've given us your story. We will send you home. Odysseus wishes Alcanoa, Sonarite, joy, comfort, cheer, and happiness. Makes some comments about how a good marriage is uh, the best of goods in all the world. A, uh, a, a, it is uh, good for your friends because they can say kind things about you, but bad for your enemies because they can't say as many unkind things about you as they would like. Uh, Alcanoas then gets gifts from him and his 13 other lords. They put them on a Phaeacian ship, and Odysseus is placed aboard. When he goes aboard, a small uh, makeshift bed is made for him. He falls asleep. He falls asleep on this Phaeacian ship. Luckily, he doesn't have any of his own men to deal with, so there will not be tragedy. But when he wakes, when he awakens, he will not know where he is. And so he will think again. When he fell asleep, something terrible happened to him. You might start to see that as sort of a metaphor. When you don't keep your head or your wits about you, terrible things can happen to you. Sort of like uh, with poor Elphinor, who, uh, by becoming drunk, gave up his mind. And then what happened to him when he was on a roof? He did something that a mindful person probably would not do. Just walk off it and break his neck, unfortunately. And so Odysseus falls asleep and was oblivious to all he had suffered. That is one of the nice things about being asleep. Now, he makes it home. 
at his home in Ithaca. That's a nice uh, Achaean ship right there. That is what uh, we think Achaean ships would have looked like. There are two harbors, one for mortals in the north and one for immortals in the south. Now remember that the five Achaeans are themselves descended from immortals. They were once giants, and they are the seed of Poseidon. These two entrances, one faces the north wind, which is called Boreas, which is why we have an aurora borealis, uh, which are the northern lights. You can see that word for northern there. Aurora technically means uh, dawn. And then there is a southern-facing harbor. Uh, that is Notus. That, uh, that's the south wind. Um, in any case, the divinities enter by the south way, not men. But Odysseus is deposited there. And is dropped off, dropped off in the divine south wind entrance, still asleep. And so, since this is the harbor used by the gods, not by men, this is not a harbor that Odysseus would recognize because he's a man. So he's never been there. This is, uh, uh, there is a modern Ithaca, by the way, if you ever visit Greece. Not, tech, not necessarily the Ithaca that Odysseus claims to go to, but it is where scholars believe he went to. But uh, whether that's true or not, we don't know. But I think uh, it does look like what the Ithaca of Odysseus's days would have. It's not a big island. It's very craggy, mountainous, a place for goats, not a place for uh, horses. Horses need flat spaces so that they can run very fast. Goats, as I, uh, you may have seen on YouTube, are very nimble-footed. They do well with crags. I think I've talked to you about this before. You ever seen a video of like, goats running across crags, doing things that would be terrifying to you? No? Well, maybe if you have some free time. In any case... Before Odysseus makes it all the way home, however, Poseidon gets wind of what has happened. I like that expression, gets wind, as in, hears something. Now, Poseidon, remember, has cursed Odysseus and has uh, vowed to make his, uh, his, his ride home, his journey home, as difficult as possible. And so he's put in a bit of a conundrum here. The descendants of Poseidon are the Phaeacians. And so the Phaeacians should be loyal to him and do his will. And yet, the five kings are helping Poseidon's enemy make it home. So Poseidon says to Zeus, Well, if this one man is helped by my own descendants to get home, then will anyone respect me as a god? Will anyone fear me as a god? Zeus says, uh, yeah, probably, essentially. He says, you are an Olympian god, I don't see what the problem is. Poseidon says, no, yeah, I think I need to make a statement. I think what I need to do is A... Uh, put a mountain on top of the five kings. Now, there are two ways you can interpret this. Either they are hidden, covered, uh, uh, calypsoed for all time, or they're literally crushed underneath that uh, mountain and destroyed for all time for helping Odysseus, which would mean they essentially had the ultimate zinnia, because uh, Alcinous actually will reveal that he knew a prophecy, sort of like Polyphemus knew a prophecy, that one day, because the five kings offer safe travel home to all visitors, they will pay a tremendous price for it. And I think uh, that's uh, something you should really think about. Even though they do the right thing constantly, they still suffer consequences for doing the right thing by the, in terms of the zinnia. And so uh, just because you do the right thing doesn't mean that you get off without harm in this world. I think that's a major theme of this lecture today. There are very few decisions you make that don't in some way cost you something, uh, and often something very valuable. Even your time, uh, whether you know it or not, that is your most valuable resource. In any case, uh, Zeus says, okay, so maybe you still punish them. What you should do is turn the ship into a rock. 
and maybe not put the mountain on top of them. Poseidon certainly does turn the ship into a rock. All the five can see it. They're like, ah, oh, the petrified ship. What just happened? Now Canoas then reveals that he knew a prophecy. He says, oh man, we need to make some sacrifices very fast to Poseidon so that he doesn't uh, cover us with a mountain. Now whether he does or not, we don't know. But we do know that the Phaeacians never, ever offer anybody safe passage home again. And so again, Odysseus is unique. He's been by both Scylla and Charybdis. He's heard the song of the sirens. And he is the last person ever to receive passage home from the Phaeacians. It's very... Uh, very imaginative story he tells, and actually some scholars suggest that because of the fact that uh, his feats can't be duplicated by anybody, that potentially he made some of it up. Do we know? No, we do not know. We just have to take him out of his word, even though we will very soon see that he's an excellent player. All right, okay, yes, and this is where I put that. So Zeus suggested turning the ship to stone, but not covering the island with a mountain. Poseidon does this, and the fire can't see it happen. Alcanoas recognizes, unlike Polyphemus, that the prophecy is being fulfilled at his people's expense, and he makes a sacrifice alongside his men and women to Poseidon and resolves to stop offering free conveyance to any and all who show up. So, Odysseus has had his effect on these people. Alright. Now on Ithaca, Odysseus wakes up in this southern harbor. Athena drifts a mist about him. A mist that might be like the mists of memory. The mist makes it so that he doesn't recognize the train. He doesn't know where he is. And actually, when he wakes up, the first thing he does is curse the Phaeacians because he thinks they've tricked him. He thinks that they've just deposited him on some island and then stolen the treasure that they claimed to give to him. That said, uh, the first thing he does after cursing them is he goes to count up all the treasure. And it's all there. And so he's very happy about that. Then a young shepherd shows up. This young shepherd is not a shepherd, but rather Athena. And he asks the shepherd, where is it that I am? And she says, you must not, you must have been living under a rock or something. This is Ithaca, famous for its former king Odysseus. And he says, Ithaca, huh? And then uh, the shepherd asks him who he is. He gives an extended lie. This will be a major theme in Ithaca. He'll lie to a lot of people uh, over multiple pages. Uh, he'll often say he is a man from Crete. Uh, he'll lie to Eumaeus. He'll lie to uh, Penelope. He'll, uh, he, he will try to lie to all those who are very close to him. He'll even lie to his father, Laertes, but he, he won't be able to keep the lie up uh, for very long because his father will cry in front of him and that will make him feel very sad. Um, and, you know, it's sort of a pathetic thing to do to see your father uh, cry, especially if, like, your first memories of your father are that scary creature that uh, uh, was all-powerful, sort of like Zeus. I think that's kind of how we see fathers when we're very young. In any case... She, she's lied to by Odysseus, and she says, oh, you young, you man, uh, one would have to be very quick to catch you, but I, as a goddess, am actually the goddess of lies and sharp practice, and so I see through your lie, and I love you because you always keep your head about you. And then Odysseus says the most interesting thing to her. He says, where have you been? You helped me so much during my time in the Iliad, and now, ten years later, You've been gone the entire time. And she's quick to correct him. She says, well, no, not exactly. I, he did recognize that she helped him on Scria. But she's been helping him behind the scenes. She's been helping his son, Telemachus. She is the one that actually got Zeus to send Hermes down to free him from Ojidia. She has been helping him, but he hasn't been able to see it. Uh, there are some scholars, though, that say that uh, Athena made a mistake. And I think this is an interesting thing to think about. If she's a goddess, she's immortal. And if she's immortal, does time matter to her? No, but Odysseus, her favorite, is immortal. 
Does time matter to him? Does do 10 years away from your family when you have a child matter to you? They matter a lot. Because what happens to your child over 10 years? It grows. It becomes an adult. And so, do you ever have a child if you're Odysseus? Does he ever get to know his son as a son? No. And I think this is supposed to make you think about just how important time is. And that as a human, you can't have all time. And you can't have everything. But you can have what you have now. And, well, that's something that Odysseus, in a way, was denied. Because he, when he left Ithaca, his son was a baby. He never got to see him as a toddler. He never got to teach him how to hunt. He never got to see him as a youth. He's going to see him as essentially a 20-year-old, as an adult. He's going to see him, essentially, as how he was before he left. And so, as much as Odysseus has achieved, as, as many adventures as he's been on, is it even worth it? Is a question you well might want to ask. Would he have preferred to be home in the first place and get to raise his family? Because I think that we sort of have this idea that adventure, adventure's great. Staying at home and living a normal life, that's really boring. Who wants that? And yet, you've seen that Achilleus says, I would have given up all my power just to be a slave to a farmer. And remember that Odysseus didn't even want to go to Troy in the first place. Perhaps the best sort of life is a boring life. Which is something, I think, well worth thinking about. In any case, Athena says one last thing to Odysseus. or She says, well, there are suitors in your home. They are an invading force. They want to kill you. If you present yourself like Agamemnon did to Clytemnestra, you will have the same fate as him. So what you need to do is plot with me a way to get into your house and kill these 109 men. It'll be you and your son and a couple slaves versus them. Not very good odds, but of course you've got me, Athena, on your side, so actually they are pretty good odds. One last thing she said. You've been through a lot. You've had to starve. You've had to hold on to things. You've had to have tremendous endurance and perseverance. And yet you will have to have even more now. Because you will be in your own house and you will have to endure terrible humiliation. Lesser men than you who have done nothing like what you have done. Who are weaker than you. Who have worse zinnia than you. Will do things like throw stools at you. Kick you. Say humiliating, insulting things to you. And you're going to have to take it. Take it, take it, take it. Just imagine that feeling of when somebody disrespects you. Punks you. How you want to immediately lash out at them. You want to say something to them. You want to punch at the end, yet Odysseus, though he has all the right in the world to do this because he's going into his own home where these men are stealing directly from him, he's going to have to take it. All the cruel words, all the pain of them throwing, they're going to throw hooves at him, they're going to throw uh, stools at him. Um, and, well, I suppose two things about that are these. What I want you to think about are, is he going to need more endurance now or on the journey that you just heard about. And the second thing is, is he home yet? He is in the place where his home once was, but is it still his home? And if it's not his home now, how does he make it his home again? And uh, I'll tell, I'll give you one hint. Part of how he will make it his home, and this is important to you as Californians, if you know your history, will be through acts of violence. Righteous violence in this case, though. So. All right. Hmm. Okay. Well done, that was our first lecture of the semester, students.